for the American College of Gastroenterology. This is Evidence-Based GI, and I'm Philip Schoenfeld, Editor-in-Chief. Today, we'll be discussing the management of gastroparesis with cannabidiol, or CBD. And with us is our Associate Editor, Philip Okafor, Senior Associate Consultant at the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville, Florida, and Linda Wynn clinical professor of medicine, and vice chief for clinical operations at the GI division at Stanford University. They'll be discussing their summary in the September 2023 issue of Evidence-Based GI, which reviews a recent RCT comparing CBD versus placebo in gastroparesis patients. And this was a study conducted by Michael Camilleri and his colleagues at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and was recently published in Clinical Gastroenterology and Hepatology. So welcome, Dr. Zokafor and Wynn. And as always, we're just going to start with why is this an important topic for our listeners to understand? Hi, Phil. Thanks for having me tonight. It's a very important topic, you know. For those of us who take call, we get to see a lot of patients who get admitted to the hospital with gastroparesis flares. You know, one recent study using ICD-9 codes showed that about 16,000 patients a year get admitted with primary admissions for gastroparesis. The challenge is they're very limited therapeutic options. And actually today, I think metoclopramide is the only FDA-approved medication to treat gastroparesis. And most providers use this for less than three months because of the neurological risks, including the risk of tardive dyskinesia. So it definitely is an unmet need. We need more agents to treat this patient with gastroparesis. As you know, CBD is is the second most prevalent active ingredient in marijuana after THC. And it's a cannabinoid receptor 2 inverse agonist with CNS uh, effect. So patients or individuals who take CBD tend to have expressed relief of anxiety, insomnia, chronic pain when they use CBD oils or gummies or capsules. There's also reports of CBD improving gut inflammation and relieving pain related to the gut. So you can imagine why this is an attractive option for research to, as we try to find a, a novel agent to help treat patients with gastroparesis. And Dr. Wayne, you're our gastroparesis expert. I imagine that a lot of your patients ask you about using CBD gummies or capsules as a treatment for their symptoms, or maybe they just update you and say they started it on their own. So can you just tell us a little bit about how you talk with your patients about using CBD for gastroparesis? Yeah, thanks for having me on. I think you know, one of the things is that there there was a survey done at Stanford by Dr. St- Dr. Tom Zikos, and he surveyed patients with chronic nausea to see of all the therapies that we've prescribed them, which ones they thought was uh, effective. And, you know, of all the anti-nausea medications, neuromodulators, CAM therapies out there, marijuana, ondansetron, and promethazine kind of rose to the top as therapies that patients thought were effective. In the NIH Gastroparesis Consortium, about 12% of patients with gastroparesis were already using marijuana. And those with more severe symptoms of nausea and 
and abdominal pain were more likely to be using marijuana. So our patients are already using some form of cannabis. And the the percentage of patients using this is going to be increasing due to increased legalization of both recreational and medicinal marijuana. And so we do need to be able to counsel patients on the risk and safety. And given what Dr. Okafor talked about in terms of the potential benefits of CBD, it is a potential therapy for, for patients. So how you know I, I talk to patients about it is that using the least amount uh, effective in trying to avoid kind of the higher daily doses, which have been associated with cannabinoid hyperemesis. So doses of greater than one gram per day for over a year is associated with a higher risk of cannabinoid hyperemesis, which can look like gastroparesis flares. So you have to be careful with that overlap of using cannabis to treat gastroparesis symptoms, but then going on to develop cannabinoid hyperemesis on top uh, of that. I, I think that's really a key point. And for our listeners, we face that struggle. Does the patient have gastroparesis and using some type of cannabis product for their gastroparesis symptoms is helpful versus is the patient using too much cannabis and that's actually producing hyperemesis syndrome due to cannabis. And as you educated me, and I think it's important for our listeners to realize, is that, you know, remember marijuana contains THC, as Dr. Okafor said, as well as CBD. And those are different pharmaceuticals, I guess. You know, medical grade cannabis products can have varying quantities of CBD and THC in them, whereas, you know, the CBD gummies that many patients may be able to get very easily may have much lower doses. And I guess that's part of what's important if a patient is going to insist on using this. Let me just go ahead and briefly review the study by Camilleri et al. This is a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled study determining if medical-grade CBD twice daily in patients with non-surgical gastroparesis and delayed solid gastric emptying studies would be beneficial based on the gastroparesis cardinal symptom index daily diary. So this was a four-week study of only 44 patients. The majority of patients had idiopathic gastroparesis, and they took escalating doses of a medical-grade CBD product called, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, Epidiolic, which, and then tried to escalate the dose all the way up to 20 milligrams per kilogram per day which was a pretty high dose. Ultimately, what they found was that they could not escalate up to the highest doses in most patients. Nevertheless, they did demonstrate that there was a decrease in the number of vomiting episodes per 24 hours, a improvement in the ability to finish a normal-sized meal, and an improvement in overall symptom severity index 
those were statistically significant improvements, although it's a little tougher for me to piece out whether or not that was a clinically important improvement in this very small study. So Phil, let me take it back to you. What do you think are the really key points about this study that our listeners should understand? Yeah, I think it's the first step, you know, in the whole process, you know, the limitations are that it was a single center study, like you mentioned, 44 participants. But the key findings were that patient reported symptoms improved. So patients reported reduced number of vomiting episodes and also were able to tolerate food better. And I think that's important. However, the caution is how do we generalize these, you know, these results? Uh, we definitely need uh, longer term studies. Uh, we need larger studies, multi-center studies that recruit patients with different kind of di- uh, gastroparesis, be it post-surgical or diabetic gastroparesis, so we can see if CBD works in the same to the same level in this uh, patient population before we make generalizations. So definitely a first step, and I think uh, we need more more data. And I want to encourage our listeners that the very detailed review done by Dr. Okafor and Dr. Wynn is in the September issue of Evidence-Based GI, and they should look at that to get more details about the design results from this study. You know, Dr. Wynn, as frequently happens in this podcast, we have very limited data to make a strong recommendation about how our listeners should be treating their patients. And our listeners really like to hear what the expert does in their practice when there's limited data. So when your patients come to you and say they're using medical marijuana or they're using medical grade levels of CBD, or maybe they're using you know, CBD gummies at low doses, how do you advise them as well as any other pearls for how you manage gastroparesis that would be helpful to the general gastroenterologist. Yeah, so I, I think, first of all, the, this formulation of this medical-grade CBD is only FDA-approved for seizure st- disorders, and it, it's really more the congenital seizure disorders in, in kids. So I've never used this. I do counsel patients on use of medicinal cannabis. And there's a difference between using cannabis medicinally versus uh, recreationally. And and the laws are different in in every state. So I encourage everybody to know the law in in your state. In in California, where, where I practice, patients who have access to medical marijuana a, they don't have to pay uh, taxes. They all, or they don't have to pay the recreational cannabis tax. So it is at a lower cost. And pay, patients who are under 21 can have access to it. So those are kind of two benefits of having a medical marijuana ID card. You can also work with dispensaries that can concentrate the the cannabis so that there's more CBD and less THC. So all the CBD products out there do have some degree of THC, which is the psychoactive component of marijuana. Both THC and CBD gastric emptying 
but it's thought that the THC component it has more detrimental uh, effects. So working with patients so that they can make recommendations so that they can go to the dispensary and ask for cannabis that's higher in CBD and lower in, in THC. And I, this is not my first line therapy. Let me just pause there, though, because I think that's really important for our listeners to understand that it's the THC component, again, that's psychoactive, and that the CBD, even though it has some central nervous system-mediated effects, is not the portion that truly makes people feel a lot of psychoactive side effects. Although, if I understand correctly, we're not really sure how much role CBD might play in developing cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome versus THC. I think that's one thing that might be helpful for our listeners to understand. All the cannabis products out there do have some THC component to, to it, but whether or not pure CBD has a role in cannabinoid hyperemesis or even, you know, dronabinol, the synthetic THD, whether it has a role in cannabinoid hyperemesis, there's not a lot of good data out there. But in terms of the negative effects uh, of THD, like I said, we know it slows gastric emptying. And in patients with cyclic vomiting syndrome, use of marijuana or THC makes the TCAs, which is typically our first-line therapy, less effective. So, so there, there is some impact on response to, to therapies. And again, that's the importance of talking to patients to recommend more CBD, less THC, and working with a reputable dispensary allows them to have that type of conversation with essentially cannabis pharmacists. And I think is just to reemphasize, you mentioned you try to advise patients if they're going to use CBD that you want to at least advise them try to use the lowest dose possible. Can you comment on that a little bit more? Yeah, I mean, I think that's with every uh, therapy that I recommend for patients, whether it's an anti-nausea or neuromodulator, is start low, titrate slowly, and use the lowest uh, effective dose. And so for patients who are starting to use CBD is to, to start with the lowest amount. And most of my patients end up using uh, like a oral liquid version of it. Well, I really appreciate both of you joining us today. I think this is very helpful for our listeners because we certainly know that a lot of them are using CBD products. So thanks again so much for joining us today. Also, for our listeners, please remember to subscribe to Evidence-Based GI on your favorite podcast platform. Follow us on Twitter at ACG underscore EBGI where we host tutorials every Wednesday and look for our next blast email from the ACG on September 13th. Thanks again for listening.